Thank you for listening to The Sleepy Bookshelf tonight. You make this show possible. If you'd like to support us, then check out our premium feed, where you'll get ad-free access to the entire catalogue, plus exclusive episodes in between our longer books. There's a link to learn more in the show notes. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. As usual, I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I'm so glad to have you here with me. Tonight, we'll be continuing with Volume 3, Chapter 5 of Pride and Prejudice. But before we do, let's take some time to calm our minds and relax our bodies for the night. Take a nice, big stretch where you are. Feel your muscles relax from your toes all the way up to your head. Allow yourself to sink into your mattress and pillows. Next, take a deep inhale, collecting together any thoughts still racing through your mind. And on your exhale, let them all go. You might have had a busy day today, but now you are here. There's nothing more to do than relax and get a good night's sleep. In our last episode, Elizabeth explained the desperate situation of Lydia's elopement with Wickham to Mr. Darcy, who seemed equally as resolved to think the worst. Her aunt and uncle agreed to a swift departure as soon as arriving back to hear the news, and they were in a carriage back to Longbourn within half an hour. On reaching the Bennets, Jane revealed that they had no more information. Mrs. Bennet expressed her concern and gratitude to her brother for coming so soon, and Mr. Gardiner confirmed he would return to London find Mr. Bennett and convince him to stay at Gracechurch Street while they tried to find Lydia and Wickham together. Jane gave Elizabeth the letter Lydia had left for Colonel Forster's wife, seeming to indicate that she had every intention of marrying Wickham. However, concern for her safety, having not made it to Scotland, remains high in everyone's mind. And that's where we pick back up tonight, with Elizabeth having read Lydia's note and the Bennet family in chaos. Chapter 5 continued. Oh, thoughtless, thoughtless Lydia, cried Elizabeth when she had finished reading. What a letter this is to be written at such a moment. But at least it shows that she was serious in the object of her journey. Whatever Wickham might afterwards persuade her to do, it was not, on her side, a scheme of infamy. Our poor father, how he must have felt it. I never saw anyone so shocked, said Jane. He could not speak a word for full ten minutes. Our mother was taken ill immediately, and the whole house was in such confusion. Oh, Jane, said Elizabeth. Was there a servant belonging to it? who did not know the whole story by the end of the day. I do not know, said Jane, 
I hope there was. But to be guarded at such a time is very difficult. Her mother was in hysterics, and though I endeavored to give her every assistance in my power, I am afraid I did not do so much as I might have done. But the horror of what might possibly happen almost took me from my faculties. Your attendance upon her has been too much for you, said Elizabeth. You do not look well. Oh, that I had been with you. You have had every care and anxiety upon yourself alone. Mary and Kitty have been very kind and would have shared in every fatigue, I'm sure, but I did not think it right for either of them, said Jane. Kitty is slight and delicate, and Mary studies so much that her hours of repose should not be broken in on. Our Aunt Phillips came to Longbourn on Tuesday after our father went away and was so good as to stay till Thursday with me. She was of great use and comfort to us all. And Lady Lucas has been very kind. She walked here on Wednesday morning to condole with us and offered her services and any of her daughters if they could be of use to us. She had better have stayed at home, said Elizabeth. Perhaps she meant well, but under such a misfortune as this, one cannot see too little of one's neighbors. Assistance is impossible. Condolence, insufferable. Let them triumph over us at a distance and be satisfied. She then proceeded to inquire into the measures which her father had intended to pursue while in town for the recovery of his daughter. He meant, I believe, replied Jane, to go to Epsom, the place where they last changed horses, see the postilions, and try if anything could be made out from them. His principal object must be to discover the number of the hackney coach which took them from Clapham. It had come with a fare from London, and as he thought the circumstance of a gentleman and ladies removing from one carriage into another might be remarked, he meant to make inquiries at Clapham. If he could anyhow discover at what house the coachman had before set down his fare, he determined to make inquiries there, and hoped it might not be impossible to find out the stand and number of the coach. I do not know of any other designs that he had formed, but he was in such a hurry to be gone, and his spirits so greatly discomposed, that I had difficulty in finding out even as much as this. Chapter 6 The whole party were in hopes of a letter from Mr. Bennet the next morning, but the post came in without bringing a single line from him. His family knew him to be, on all common occasions, a most negligent and dilatory correspondent, but at such a time they had hoped for exertion. They were forced to conclude that he had no pleasing intelligence to send, but even of that they would have been glad to be certain. Mr. Gardiner had waited only for the letters before he set off. When he was gone, they were certain at least of receiving constant information of what was going on, and their uncle promised at parting to prevail on Mr. Bennet to return to Longbourn as soon as he could, to the great consolation of his sister, who considered it as the only security for her husband's not being killed in a duel. Mrs. Gardiner and the children were to remain in Hertfordshire a few days longer, as the former thought her presence might be serviceable to her nieces. She shared in their attendance on Mrs. Bennet 
and was a great comfort to them in their hours of freedom. Their other aunt also visited them frequently, and always, as she said, with the design of cheering and heartening them up, though as she never came without reporting some fresh instance of Wickham's extravagance or irregularity, she seldom went away without leaving them more dispirited than she found them. All Meryton seemed striving to speak ill of the man, who but three months before had been almost an angel of light. He was declared to be in debt to every tradesman in the place, and his intrigues, all honoured with the title of seduction, had been extended into every tradesman's family. Everybody declared that he was the wickedest young man in the world, and everybody began to find out that they had always distrusted the appearance of his goodness. Elizabeth, though she did not credit above half of what was said, believed enough to make her former assurance of her sister's ruin still more certain. And even Jane, who believed still less of it, became almost hopeless, more especially as the time was now come when, if they had gone to Scotland, which she had never before entirely despaired of, they must, in all probability, have gained some news of them. Mr. Gardner left Longbourn on Sunday. On Tuesday, his wife received a letter from him. It told them that on his arrival, he had immediately found out his brother and persuaded him to come to Gracechurch Street. It also told them that Mr. Bennet had been to Epsom and Clapham before his arrival but without gaining any satisfactory information, and that he was now determined to inquire at all the principal hotels in town, as Mr. Bennet thought it possible they might have gone to one of them on their first coming to London before they procured lodgings. Mr. Gardner himself did not expect any success from this measure, but as his brother was eager in it, he meant to assist him in pursuing it. He added that Mr. Bennet seemed wholly disinclined at present to leave London and promised to write again very soon. There was also a postscript to this effect. I have written to Colonel Forster to desire him to find out, if possible, from some of the young man's intimates in the regiment, whether Wickham has any relations or connections who would be likely to know in what part of town he has now concealed himself. If there were anyone that one could apply to, with a probability of gaining such a clue as that, it might be of essential consequence. At present, we have nothing to guide us. Colonel Forster will, I dare say, do everything in his power to satisfy us on this head. But, on second thoughts, perhaps Lizzie could tell us what relations he has now living better than any other person. Elizabeth was at no loss to understand from whence this deference for her authority proceeded but it was not in her power to give any information of so satisfactory a nature as the compliment deserved. She had never heard of his having any relations, except a father and mother, both of whom had been dead many years. It was possible, however, that some of his companions in the Shire might be able to give more information and though she was not very sanguine in expecting it, the application was something to look forward to. Every day at Longbourn, 
was now a day of anxiety, but the most anxious part of each was when the post was expected. The arrival of letters was the first grand object of every morning's impatience. Through letters, whatever of good or bad was to be told would be communicated, and every succeeding day was expected to bring some news of importance. But before they heard again from Mr. Gardner, a letter arrived for their father from a different quarter, from Mr. Collins, which, as Jane had received directions to open all that came for him in his absence, she accordingly read, and Elizabeth, who knew what curiosities his letters always were, looked over her and read it likewise. It was as follows. My dear sir, I feel myself called upon by our relationship and my situation in life to condole with you on the grievous affliction you are now suffering under, of which we were yesterday informed by a letter from Hertfordshire. Be assured, my dear sir, that Mrs. Collins and myself sincerely sympathize with you and all your respectable family in your present distress, which must be of the bitterest kind, because proceeding from a cause which no time can remove. No arguments shall be wanting on my part that can alleviate so severe a misfortune, or that may comfort you under a circumstance that must be of all others most afflicting to a parent's mind. The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison of this. And it is the more to be lamented, because there is reason to suppose, as my dear Charlotte informs me, that this licentiousness of behavior in your daughter has proceeded from a faulty degree of indulgence. Though, at the same time, for the consolation of yourself and Mrs. Bennet, I'm inclined to think that her own disposition must be naturally bad, or she could not be guilty of such an enormity at so early an age. Howsoever that may be, you are grievously to be pitied, in which opinion I am not only joined by Mrs. Collins, but likewise by Lady Catherine and her daughter, to whom I have related the affair. They agree with me in apprehending that this false step in one daughter will be injurious to the fortunes of all the others, for who, as Lady Catherine herself condescendingly says, will connect themselves with such a family. And this consideration leads me, moreover, to reflect with augmented satisfaction on a certain event of last November, for had it been otherwise, I must have been involved in all your sorrow and disgrace. Let me advise you then, my dear sir, to console yourself as much as possible, to throw off your unworthy child from your affection forever, and leave her to reap the fruits of her own heinous offense. Sincerely, William Collins Mr. Gardner did not write again till he had received an answer from Colonel Forster, and then he had nothing of a pleasant nature to send. It was not known that Wickham had a single relation with whom he kept up any connection, and it was certain that he had no near one living. His former acquaintances had been numerous, but since he had been in the militia, it did not appear that he was on terms of particular friendship with any of them. There was no one, therefore, who could be pointed out as likely to give any news of him, and in the wretched state of his own finances, there was a very powerful motive for secrecy, in addition to his fear of discovery by Lydia's relations.
before it had just transpired that he had left gaming debts behind him to a very considerable amount. Colonel Forster believed that more than a thousand pounds would be necessary to clear his expenses at Brighton. He owed a good deal in the town, but his debts of honor were still more formidable. Mr. Gardiner did not attempt to conceal these particulars from the Longbourn family. Jane heard them with horror. A gamester, she said. This is wholly unexpected. I had not an idea of it. Mr. Gardiner added in his letter that they might expect to see their father at home on the following day, which was Saturday. Rendered spiritless by the ill success of all their endeavors, he had yielded his brother-in-law's entreaty that he would return to his family and leave it to him to do whatever occasion might suggest be advisable for continuing their pursuit. When Mrs. Bennet was told of this, she did not express so much satisfaction as her children expected, considering what her anxiety for his life had been before. What? Is he coming home? And without poor Lydia? She cried. Sure he will not leave London before he has found them. Who is to fight Wickham and make him marry her if he comes away? As Mrs. Gardner began to wish to be at home, it was settled that she and her children should go to London at the same time that Mr. Bennet came from it. The coach, therefore, took them the first stage of the journey and brought its master back to Longbourn. Mrs. Gardner went away in all the perplexity about Elizabeth and her Derbyshire friend that had attended her from that part of the world. His name had never been voluntarily mentioned before them by her niece, and the kind of half-expectation which Mrs. Gardiner had formed of their being followed by a letter from him had ended in nothing. Elizabeth had received none since her return that could come from Pemberley. The present unhappy state of the family rendered any other excuse for the lowness of her spirits unnecessary. Nothing, therefore, could be fairly conjectured from that. Though Elizabeth, who was by this time tolerably well acquainted with her own feelings, was perfectly aware that had she known nothing of Darcy's, she could have borne the dread of Lydia's infamy somewhat better. It would have spared her, she thought, one sleepless night out of two. When Mr. Bennet arrived, he had all the appearance of his usual philosophic composure. He said as little as he had ever been in the habit of saying, made no mention of the business that had taken him away, and it was some time before his daughters had courage to speak of it. It was not till the afternoon when he joined them at tea that Elizabeth ventured to introduce the subject, and then, on her briefly expressing her sorrow for what he must have endured, he replied, Say nothing of that. Who should suffer but myself? It has been my own doing, and I ought to feel it. You must not be too severe upon yourself, replied Elizabeth. You may well warn me against such an evil, said her father. Human nature is so prone to fall into it. No, Lizzie, let me once in my life feel how much I have been to blame. I am not afraid of being overpowered by the impression. It will pass away soon enough. Do you suppose them to be in London? 
Elizabeth asked. Yes, said he. Where else can they be so well concealed? And Lydia used to want to go to London, added Kitty. She is happy then, said her father dryly, and her residence there will be probably of some duration. Then, after a short silence, he continued, Lizzie, I bear you no ill will for being justified in your advice to me last May, which, considering the event, shows some greatness of mind. They were interrupted by Jane, who came to fetch her mother's tea. This is a parade, said he, which does one good. It gives such an elegance to misfortune. Another day I will do the same. I will sit in my library, in my nightcap and powdering gown, and give as much trouble as I can. Or perhaps I may defer it till Kitty runs away. I am not going to run away, Papa, said Kitty fretfully. If I should ever go to Brighton, I would behave better than Lydia. You go to Brighton, said her father. I would not trust you so near it as Eastbourne for fifty pounds. No, Kitty, I have at last learnt to be cautious, and you will feel the effects of it. No officer is ever to enter my house again, nor even to pass through the village. Balls will be absolutely prohibited unless you stand up with one of your sisters, and you are never to stir out of doors till you can prove that you have spent ten minutes of every day in a rational manner. Kitty who took all these threats in a serious light, began to cry. Well, well, said he, do not make yourself unhappy. If you are a good girl for the next ten years, I will take you to a review at the end of them. Chapter 7 Two days after Mr. Bennet's return, as Jane and Elizabeth were walking together in the shrubbery behind the house, they saw the housekeeper coming towards them, and concluding that she came to call them to their mother, went forward to meet her. But instead of the expected summons, when they approached her, she said to Jane, I beg your pardon, madam, for interrupting you, but I was in hopes that you might have got some good news from town, so I took the liberty of coming to ask. What do you mean, Hill? Jane replied. We have heard nothing from town. Dear madam, cried Mrs. Hill in great astonishment. Don't you know there is an express come for master from Mr. Gardiner? He has been here this half hour and Master has had a letter. Away ran the girls, too eager to get in to have time for speech. They ran through the vestibule, into the breakfast room, from thence to the library. Their father was in neither, and they were on the point of seeking him upstairs with their mother, when they were met by the butler, who said, if you are looking for my master, ma'am, he is walking towards the little copse. Upon this information, they instantly passed through the hall once more and ran across the lawn after their father, who was deliberately pursuing his way towards a small wood on one side of the paddock. Jane, who was not so light, nor so much in the habit of running as Elizabeth, soon lagged behind, while her sister, panting for breath, came up with him and eagerly called out, Oh, Papa, what news? What news? Have you heard from my uncle? 
Yes, I have had a letter from him by express, said Mr. Bennet. Well, and what news does it bring? said Elizabeth. Good or bad? What is there of good to be expected? said he, taking the letter from his pocket. But perhaps you would like to read it. Elizabeth impatiently caught it from his hand. Jane now came up. Read it aloud, said their father, for I hardly know myself what it is about. Elizabeth began to read. Gracechurch Street, Monday, August 2nd. My dear brother, at last I am able to send you some tidings of my niece, and such as, upon the whole, I hope will give you satisfaction. Soon after you left me on Saturday, I was fortunate enough to find out in what part of London they were. The particulars I reserve till we meet. It is enough to know they are discovered. I have seen them both. Then it is as I always hoped, said Jane. They are married. Elizabeth read on. I have seen them both. They are not married nor can I find there was any intention of being so. But if you are willing to perform the engagements which I have ventured to make on your side, I hope it will not be long before they are. All that is required of you is to assure your daughter by settlement her equal share of the £5,000 secured among your children after the decease of yourself and my sister, and moreover to enter into an engagement of allowing her during your life one hundred pounds per annum. These are conditions which, considering everything, I had no hesitation in complying with, as far as I thought myself privileged for you. I shall send this by express that no time may be lost in bringing me your answer. You will easily comprehend from these particulars that Mr. Wickham's circumstances are not so hopeless as they are generally believed to be. The world has been deceived in that respect, and I am happy to say there will be some little money, even when all his debts are discharged, to settle on my niece in addition to her own fortune. If, as I conclude will be the case, you send me full powers to act in your name throughout the whole of the business, I will immediately give directions to Haggerston for preparing a proper settlement. There will not be the smallest occasion for your coming to town again. Therefore, stay quietly at Longbourn and depend on my diligence and care. Send back your answer as soon as you can, and be careful to write explicitly. We have judged it best that my niece should be married from this house, of which I hope you will approve. She comes to us today. I shall write again as soon as anything more is determined. Yours, Edward Gardner is it possible? said Elizabeth when she had finished. Can it be possible that he will marry her? Wickham is not so undeserving then as we have thought him, said her sister. My dear father, I congratulate you. And have you answered the letter? said Elizabeth. No. But it must be done soon, said Mr. Bennet. Most earnestly did she then entreat him to lose no more time before he wrote. Oh, my dear father, she said, come back and write immediately. Consider how important every moment is in such a case. Let me write it for you, said Jane 
If you dislike the trouble yourself? I dislike it very much, he replied, but it must be done. And so saying, he turned back with them and walked towards the house. And may I ask, said Elizabeth, but the terms, I suppose, must be complied with. Complied with, said Mr. Bennet. I'm only ashamed of his asking so little. And they must marry, said Elizabeth. Yet he is such a man. Yes, yes, they must marry, replied Mr. Bennet. There is nothing else to be done. But there are two things that I want very much to know. One is how much money your uncle has laid down to bring it about, and the other, how am I ever going to repay him? Money? My uncle? She said. What do you mean, sir? I mean that no man in his senses would marry Lydia on so slight a temptation as one hundred a year during my life and fifty after I am gone replied Mr. Bennet. That is very true, said Elizabeth, though it had not occurred to me before. His debts to be discharged and something still to remain. Oh, it must be my uncle's doing. Generous, good man. I'm afraid he has distressed himself. A small sum could not do all this. No, said her father. Wickham's a fool if he takes her with a farthing less than ten thousand pounds. I should be sorry to think so ill of him in the very beginning of our relationship. Ten thousand pounds, said Elizabeth. Heaven forbid. How is half such a sum to be repaid? Mr. Bennet made no answer and each of them, deep in thought, continued silent till they reached the house. Their father then went to the library to write, and the girls walked into the breakfast room. Are they really to be married? said Elizabeth as soon as they were by themselves. How strange this is, and for this we are to be thankful that they should marry, small as is their chance of happiness, and wretched as is his character, we are forced to rejoice. Oh, Lydia, I comfort myself with thinking, replied Jane, that he certainly would not marry Lydia if he had not a real regard for her, though our kind uncle has done something towards clearing him. I cannot believe that ten thousand pounds, or anything like it, has been advanced. He has children of his own. How could he spare half ten thousand pounds? If we are ever to learn what Wickham's debts have been, said Elizabeth, and how much is settled on his side on our sister, we shall exactly know what Mr. Gardiner has done for them because Wickham has not sixpence of his own. The kindness of my uncle and aunt can never be requited. Their taking her home and affording her their personal protection and countenance is such a sacrifice to her advantage, as years of gratitude cannot enough acknowledge. By this time she is actually with them, if such goodness does not make her miserable now, she will never deserve to be happy. What a meeting for her, when she first sees my aunt. We must endeavor to forget all that has passed on either side, said Jane. I hope and trust they will yet be happy. His consenting to marry her is a proof, I will believe, that he has come to a right way of thinking. 
their mutual affection will steady them, and I flatter myself they will settle so quietly and live in so rational a manner as may in time make their past imprudence forgotten. Their conduct has been such, replied Elizabeth, as neither you nor I nor anybody can ever forget. It is useless to talk of it. It now occurred to the girls that their mother was, in all likelihood, perfectly ignorant of what had happened. They went to the library, therefore, and asked their father whether he would not wish them to make it known to her. He was writing, and without raising his head, coolly replied, Just as you please. May we take my uncle's letter to read to her? asked Elizabeth. Take whatever you like and get away, he said. Elizabeth took the letter from his writing table and they went upstairs together. Mary and Kitty were both with Mrs. Bennet. One communication would, therefore, do for all. After a slight preparation for good news, the letter was read aloud. Mrs. Bennet could hardly contain herself. As soon as Jane had read Mr. Gardiner's hope of Lydia's soon being married, her joy burst forth, and every following sentence added to its exuberance. She was now in an irritation as violent from delight as she had ever been fidgety from alarm and vexation. To know that her daughter would be married was enough. She was disturbed by no fear for her felicity, nor humbled by any remembrance of her misconduct. My dear, dear Lydia, said she, this is delightful indeed. She will be married. I shall see her again. She will be married at sixteen. My good, kind brother, I knew how it would be. I knew he would manage everything. How I longed to see her, and to see dear Wickham too. But the clothes, the wedding clothes, I will write to my sister Gardner about them directly. Lizzie, my dear, run down to your father and ask him how much he will give her. Stay, stay, I will go myself. Ring the bell, Kitty, for Hill. I will put on my things in a moment. My dear, dear Lydia, how merry we shall be together when we meet. Her eldest daughter endeavoured to give some relief to the violence of these transports by leading her thoughts to the obligations which Mr. Gardiner's behaviour laid them all under. For we must attribute this happy conclusion, she added, in a great measure to his kindness. We are persuaded that he has pledged himself to assist Mr. Wickham with money. Well, said her mother, it is all very right. Who should do it but her own uncle? If he had not a family of his own, I and my children have had all his money, you know. And this is the first time we have ever had anything from him, except a few presents. Well, I am so happy. In a short time, I shall have a daughter married. Mrs. Wickham, how well it sounds. And she was only sixteen last June. My dear Jane, I am in such a flutter that I am sure I can't write. So I will dictate, and you will write for me. We will settle with your father about the money afterwards, but the things should be ordered immediately. She was then proceeding to all the particulars of calico, muslin, and cambric, and would shortly have dictated some very plentiful orders had not Jane, though with some difficulty, 
persuaded her to wait till her father was at leisure to be consulted. One day's delay, she observed, would be of small importance, and her mother was too happy to be quite so obstinate as usual. Other schemes, too, came into her head. I will go to Meryton, said she, as soon as I am dressed, and tell the good, good news to my sister Phillips. And as I come back, I can call on Lady Lucas and Mrs. Long. Kitty, run down and order the carriage. An airing would do me a great deal of good, I'm sure. Girls, can I do anything for you in Meryton? Oh, here comes Hill. My dear Hill, have you heard the good news? Miss Lydia is going to be married, and you shall all have a bowl of punch to make merry at her wedding. Mrs. Hill began instantly to express her joy. Elizabeth received her congratulations amongst the rest and then, sick of this folly, took refuge in her own room that she might think with freedom. Poor Lydia's situation must, at best, be bad enough. But that it was no worse, she had need to be thankful. She felt it so, and though, in looking forward, neither rational happiness nor worldly prosperity could be justly expected for her sister. In looking back to what they had feared only two hours ago, she felt all the advantages of what they had gained.